This is Michigan's with your hosts, Spencer Brown, Stephen Hers, and Stephen Paradise. Now, welcome to the Michigan's podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of Michigan's. We are back and better than ever, which, as I always say, is more of a statement on the past than the present. But here we are. We are week. 11, I believe, coming up. We are 9-1. A lot's changed since our first episode of the year back in September. But one thing that has not changed is our sponsor, Morris Coupling Company. We'd like to thank them for their continued support. Dice, are you aware that Morris Coupling was founded in 1941? I am. You were aware of that. Hers, are you aware that Morris began its entry into pneumatic conveying through its design and introduction of the industry's first compression coupling. That's news to me. Thank you. It was news to me, too. But we want to thank Morris and its owners for their continued support. And with that, we've got a lot to discuss. As someone once famously said, Hersey, one of us has a lot of splaining to do. So, Dice, why don't you just take a swing at this? And, uh, and can you attribute this quote to somebody and explain your thoughts on it? The quote being, we are in a state of permanent irrelevancy or on the path to it anyway yes i believe it was on the path to permanent irrelevance and what i most admire about my friend Stephen hers is he won't back down uh he'll say until we beat ohio state we are on a path to permanent irrelevance etc 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 the bottom line with Stephen is i've known him long enough he likes to take outrageous positions they get more attention and he's getting attention business and if he's wrong he moves on and i and i credit him for that um, I called it at the time. I thought it was hysterical, hysterics at the time, and, and hysteria today. We are far from on the path to irrelevance. Steve Hers, if we lose, God forbid, to Ohio State, like I'll go. I'll ask the same question that I asked. I think on September 10th, or whenever we did the first show, uh, where are we now? If we lose to Ohio State, well, where are we now? Going into the last two games of the year, and what needs to happen to really consider this a full-on reversal? Well, I'd say we're, um, we're sort of exactly where I said we'd be with some slight uh, uh, moderations, modifications. We, are, we have the number one de- team defense in the country. We have the 52nd ranked offense in the country. And if you recall, I said Don Brown was the savior of Michigan football, and he has been the savior of Michigan football. I, I recall you saying he was going to be the next coach for Michigan I, football. I, I, I stand, should be. Should be the I next stand by coach. that comment. He is the heart and soul of this team. We have three projected first-round draft picks in the 2019 NFL draft, all defensive players. So to answer your question, though, I think that if we beat Ohio State, we then beat Northwestern, and we don't get embarrassed in the bowl game against Alabama or Clemson, I'll consider it a, a very good year, and it'll be great for recruiting. But, you know, those are three pitfalls on the way to back to relevance. If we get blown out or lose to Ohio State, this will be a terrible year by any... I think, any metric, considering where we are right now and how bad and down the Big Ten is. So you're on record, really, nothing's, I wouldn't say changed, but essentially, unless we beat Ohio State or, you know, uh, then win the next two or are competitive. All you know, we we're have still to do is be competitive in the playoff game. But I don't. That's th- your baseline. Yes. All right, Dice, what's, where are we? Well, first of all, there's no wonder that this man is a super agent. The way this man can spin. Uh, his clients are very, very fortunate to be represented by Stephen Hurst. I'll start there. The fact of the matter is, 
the defense is phenomenal. Steve Hurst didn't discover that. Everyone knew going into the season we had a great, great defense. Harbaugh doesn't get credit for some of that recruiting. I don't understand. It's like a double-edged sword. I, I gave him credit. But the, I gave but, him credit but, in the last whoa, podcast. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So talking about, the, talking about the offense, to me, and you watch the Penn State game when a bunch of my friends, including a guy in Bexley, Ohio, who's a naysayer, permanent naysayer, was criticizing the offense, criticizing the offense, criticizing the offense, how conservative they were. They were playing their hand, they were dealt, and they had a defense that was dominating the game. They wore Penn State down, and the offense ended up scoring 40-something points in that game. So, so to me, you can't rank our defense a 52nd-ranked offense, I should say, because he hasn't, let, he hasn't let the horses go yet. We're going to see how good this offense is when they need to be. And we saw some of it already, and this kid, Patterson, has an arm that we haven't seen in Michigan and, and, and a moxie that we haven't seen in Michigan in a combination of those two in a very, very long time. Even if we lose to Ohio State in, in, in a very close game, I'll say it, doesn't mean that we're not a very good team and that Harbaugh's not a very good coach. You'll be okay if we lose to Ohio State. No, I'll not be okay. I'll be devastated, actually, because I think this team deserves to go to the playoffs, and I think this team can win the playoffs. But the fact of the matter is you can't d- determine a team or a coach based upon one, one season. The season two years ago, he lost two games by one point each, and he lost by three at Ohio State with a suspect spot and a horrible officiating. That's the difference between him being undefeated and playing for the national championship and not. And, and I think, that, as I say, I think we overreacted in week one. And, well, and we should walk you, back from that. You in think my we overreacted? In my, in my humble opinion, you should walk a couple of steps back. Well, on one J- of us on overreacted more, more than others of us. But, but I, look, I hope that I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong. Well, you're already wrong. Well, I'm wrong <laughs> in the sense that... You hope you're really wrong. Well, I don't know. I mean, we have not beaten a quality, quality, quality team this year. Not yet. You cannot tell me that Michigan State, unranked, is a quality team. You can't tell me that Penn State, barely hanging in the we top 15, is a quality team. We didn't beat Penn State. We, we, we wiped the yeah, floor Yeah, we dismantled. Okay. I, I don't and, care and if we beat them 150 to nothing. They're still not a quality they're, team. They're still Penn State, and they, almost, they should have beaten Ohio State. So let's be real here. I mean, you could play this game all the time. They're not a quality team because we beat them, and they lost the next game. Look, on a neutral field, who's Clemson, favored who's in the game beat, right now? Who's Clemson beat Us or LSU? Who's, who's I actually believe, I, I'd be interested who, who, in your guys' thoughts. Clemson beat, uh, what was it, Texas A&M on the road or yeah, something like that. One game. I, I don't think te- uh, Clemson's played a great schedule. But I think you have to look at it, too. It's like, were they a quality team at the time right. you played them? Because teams that lose... A lot of times, it, it can okay, send by them. Your so, standards. By my standards, so by, your by standards, my standards, Wisconsin had lost two weeks before to BYU, but they were still a one-loss preseason top five. You know, pretty good but team. But they came into the game, but and also we crushed them. Like these have not been close Michigan games. Michigan State came Michigan into the State. game having lost to Arizona State, having lost to Northwestern. And if no, we beat we, Ohio State, they're a one-loss Ohio State who lost to Purdue and got killed by Purdue. So we're not that good because we beat a weak Ohio State team. We could keep playing this game. You can only beat the teams on your schedule. I agree. I think we've. And we lost through, to the one team we should have we, beaten. We, we won the second half. We haven't lost since the second half, since the first half of the Notre Dame game. We have not lost the game. I That's think a fact. You, I, oh, they I definitely keep six and halfs now. The one no, lost. The, the fact of the matter half. is that we got off to a slow start against Notre Dame. We whipped them in the second half, and we would have beaten them if the game had a few more minutes on the clock. They I think didn't. to validate the year, we need to beat Ohio State, not yeah. lose in overtime, not anything, let alone get blown out. I think to really validate the year, we need to win that game. I still think as a program. We're back. I mean, we're relevant. We're top four in this whole year. I mean, is you know that's As the we last game of the year. Today, you are correct. We are back, but that changes really drastically. If we lose to Ohio State, we lose our bowl game. We are back to the road of irrelevance. If we lose those two games, and if we also lost to Northwestern, then we're really back. Well, to we're the not going to lose Ohio State. Right, is a condition correct. of playing right. Northwestern. Okay. So Fair I, I can't disagree that 
That let's game not validates. All start, let's not start throwing the confetti around just Nobody's yet. Throwing yeah, it now. The confetti should not be thrown around. There's a well, lot of scar tissue. Paradise here is ready to like throw a party. <laughs> no, Are we ready to throw a very party? Proud of my three and one prediction, and and if I'm if I'm wrong and they're four and zero, oh, I'll take it. Okay, fair enough. I'm, I I hope you're right. Believe me. All right. So Michigan football. Just to sum it up, in a great place, but it's TBD, the Ohio State game. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm bullish on the team no matter what. I've seen great growth as I predicted in that first week. The offensive line has improved game after game after game. They're they're blowing people off the ball. Shea Patterson, I mean it's Rutgers, yes, but Shea Patterson had all day to throw in that game, and I think we've seen great improvement in all facets of the of the team. That's a sign of good coaching on every side of the ball. Hersey, not just Don Brown, who I, is by the way great. I am ecstatic to be relevant again for the time being, hopefully permanently. I'm just not sold yet on the quality of our competition. With all due respect to Paradise, I agree with him. You play who you play. Not our fault. Does happen to be a very down year for our conference. And hopefully we beat Ohio State and make a decent showing of ourselves against Clemson or Alabama. I still think that was a good game, even if we get knocked out in the first round of the playoff. Yeah, I don't think the playoff – I think the Ohio State game is everything this year, kind of like it was two years ago. You just eventually need to – Get to the top of the conference. You have to get there if you're if you're Michigan and you're back. I really do think this is the first time in many, many years that we're the better team than Ohio State. They haven't had a great year. They've really struggled on defense. They can't run the ball. There's all kinds of turmoil with their coaching. Even two years ago, we probably would have won that game, but for the fact Wilton Spate oh. was hurt. He threw an interception. He the guy, you know, pick six. Fart. Yeah, I mean, huge. Um, and, and also with pick six, really two of them. Uh, I just like our odds on that game, and I think when we're the better team going into Columbus, you know, this is the year we really need to knock down that door, and then I think we're back. I think I think the next weekend, these conference games are a joke, the championships. <clears throat> and you know what? If after all that we get blown out by Alabama or Clemson or whoever we play, I don't really think that matters all that much. I actually don't think it'll happen, but I don't think it really matters. I will say one thing about the, the Ohio State game and the coaching of that game. If he doesn't let loose with one or two gadget plays in that game because I think he's set up perfectly for gadget plays. We haven't shown any all year long. Ben Mason presents an element that the other team has to game plan for. They commit to Ben Mason. There's so many opportunities in my view, and I think he's got to go for the jugular and let it go a little bit in that game. We agree. I think it'll be interesting in that game that Ohio State's one strength on offense, or only strength, is throwing the ball. We've obviously got the pass defense, uh, you know, one of the best pass defense, if not the best in the country, and it'll just be interesting to watch how someone like Don Brown schemes really to go up against you know an excellent passer, decent receivers, not a whole lot of running game there. So you got to figure they're going to fling yeah. it around. Any word on Levert Hill? Because that's a, that's an important injury to watch out for. If Concussion. He's yeah. Any, anything? I, I haven't heard much. I mean, I don't think whether he plays this week or not is really all right. that. Yeah, you got to figure they're going to be pretty conservative about who's playing uh, this week. Right. All right. Well, speaking of our friends. Down south, a couple of hours in Columbus. Like, what's going on there? I mean, what's your read on on where they are and and where they're, where they're heading? I, I think the tide has turned in the last twenty four hours, forty eight hours, in favor of Urban Meyer, because uh, Brett McMurphy, who is the uh, the Damon Runyon of Ohio State sports, uh, kind of he overstepped on uh, this newest allegation of uh, racial intolerance by uh, Urban Meyer. He put up the story. It's been largely discredited by great friends of the kid who transferred, who uh, they claimed someone used a a racial epithet. 
people, uh, quite a number of African Americans that prominently who are on the Ohio State team or were then came out and said, this is nonsense. And a lot of people have discredited Brett McMurphy's journalistic standards. So I think you push too hard and you swing and you miss like that, then there's going to be a lot of pushback. So I, I, I think they, they're actually on an upswing right now in terms of Urban Meyer's security. Feels like a little bit of a circular firing squad down there, which could be reversed, by the way, with a win over Michigan. But if they lose, even though they've beaten us so many times over the years, I could really see, I would say the bottom falling out's an exaggeration, but I could really see a lot of, uh, you know, internal warfare there. It just seems like Urban doesn't look too happy on the sidelines. You've got former assistants accusing each other of not only racism, but cheating on their wives and all kinds of indiscretions. You've pretty much got a wife beater, or at least an accused wife beater, that was on the staff for a few years. I just think it's going to be hard for them to walk into. I wouldn't be, first of all, this is not such an original thought. Urban doesn't look like he's long for life there. And even if he is, I think the recruiting is going to take a hit here, you know, a little bit. All that can be solved, uh, you know, if they beat us and win the Big Ten and keep going. But I, I think there's vulnerability right now. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think looking at this from the big picture, I think they've lost discipline in that program, obviously. And you have a lot of, as you say, a circular firing squad going on, which is incredible at a, at a university like that. And I just can't imagine that Urban is long to, to want to, to continue doing this. I mean, you, you may be right. What else do they have to prove, right? Well, you may be right. He's but got the migraines. He, he says he has the migraines again. You're right. But here's a very kind of the, the, the negative spin on it, because that's my job here, is to think about this. Ohio State played very well in the three games that Urban Meyer was suspended. They seemed to execute on all cylinders. They blew out TCU, which was then a ranked team. Since he came back, they've been unrecognizable version of Ohio State for the most part. I mean, Purdue in the second half was just literally telling them, telegraphing, we're running the ball up the middle every time we're up on you. And they just ran it right up the gut and blew them out in the second half. I mean, you never see that happen to Ohio State team, especially to get blown out on the defensive line. So maybe Ohio State will play better without Urban Meyer. Maybe he's become a distraction. Maybe he's the CEO of the team, and the guy who took over in his, in his stead will come in, and maybe they'll be just as good. Yeah, look, I mean, I remember when, when Trestle left, he was 9-1 or 10-1 against Michigan. Figured we were you know, finally going to catch a break here, and, and it would, things would improve. You know, they improved for one year while Luke Fickle was the uh, was the interim, and then Urban came. So you never know what you're going to get next. But Urban really is, you know, he and Nick Saban are the best coaches of this generation. Wouldn't be the worst thing, I don't think, for Michigan football if he left. But I will say I'm glad he's still there because I don't want him leaving without walking off the field tasting defeat at least once against Michigan. And I think that's going to happen, you know, a week from Saturday. But we'll uh, obviously see about that. I do recall us all thinking – I think the inaugural Michigas year of 2015 that we were going to win. So you know, got to be where our group think here too. <laughs> right, right. All right, moving on to the other major Michigan sport, uh, Michigan basketball. Again, someone's got a lot of explaining to do. I mean, looking pretty good. I think one of the three of us, you know, was uh, was fairly down on John Beeline. That was a Bo Ryan-like performance by Michigan last night against the defending champs, Villanova. Steve Paradise, where are we? Michigan hoops. Villanova hasn't lost in double digits in 106 games. 106 games. 
I'm I'm a, a I mean if I was to have a son if if God was to bless me like He blessed Abraham this, this is just with a son I think his, I think I might name him John Beeline Paris. how many how many daughters are we up to <laughs> right now there. how many daughters are we're we up fi- to we're five daughters um, but John Beeline Paradise I think has a nice ring to it I I I just can't say enough about this guy the way this team plays uh, every team of his plays smart unselfish usually they struggle earlier in the year I actually of all people predicted a close loss last night in the face of a guy from Larchmont and his prediction of a blowout loss named Robbie Goldstein. Um, but the fact of the matter is he, he's, he's as good a coach as there is in any, in any college sport today. That's as far as I'll, I'll take it even up. I'll raise it up a notch, Mr. Hurst. You think any he's college as good as Mike Krzyzewski? As good as any coach in any sport. And if you measure a coach by the success he has in getting young men to play together as a team and improve and play a sport to the best of their ability. So you're saying that's he's, how you measure coaching. So you're saying he's as good a college coach yes. as Nick Saban? Correct. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. I'm talking about I'm talking about defining coaching and what I just said. How you define coaching? How are we defining coaching again? I'm talking about getting young men to play to the best of Wait, their let's potential. Let's break it down. Getting and their ability right. yeah. and to play together as a team and okay. a cohesive unit and to play unselfishly and smart and intelligent. And which, well, by that standard, Mark D'Antoni is a better coach than John Beeline because he takes two star and three stars and turns them into a perennial I mean, top 10 team. Wait, wait, you're the one who's criticized Beeline's recruiting and said he doesn't, he doesn't recruit do, well. So. He hasn't had the same results as, as D'Antoni. What do you mean? And he gets better recruits. <laughs> I, I think that statement may be as crazy as, as the permanent decline statement. Right. He's, he's a very good to great coach. He is, but He's a great, very good coach. I mean, the program, the program. He's it's interesting. I mean, I recall, and I think I was off the bandwagon, you know, us being very critical of him a few years ago, like it was breaking point. They missed the tournament. I think they made the tournament that following year as one of those final four, you know, in the play-in yep. games. Play-in, yeah. And now he seems to have turned it around. But they look good. I mean, they've got a good – obviously they look good. They've got a nice roster. Still kind of early. Right, with College football's funny. With three basketball. And he's, basketball. he's dropping basketball. the confetti on the basketball program. He is, also. right. <laughs> with three he's and playing the song. He's got nails. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Holy Cross. The question was John Beeline as a coach. Yeah. We, we were down against Holy Cross in the first half. So we have played three great halves of basketball because, you know, he does everything in halves. Do you guys think that college basketball <laughs> basketball on the decline? Don't you feel it's on the decline a little bit? College basketball? Yes. Oh, it's, I think it's been on the decline for with the one one and done. I mean, what, what does Mike Krzyzewski do to coach? He puts Zion Williamson out there with three other studs, and they go out and dominate. That's coaching? I feel like the whole season, in contrast to football, which really builds and builds and builds, the whole season comes down to March. Like, you don't really need to watch, you know, until March. These it's teams, funny. these are all exhibition games. I, I, I sort of disagree. I, I, I get your point, but... I think college basketball's actually gotten a lot better in the last five to ten years because of the fact that the quality of the matchups has gotten so much better. Teams are not afraid to schedule top five, top ten teams in February or certainly in November, whereas in college football, what do we get this weekend? Alabama has an off week from the SEC. They're playing the Citadel. Citadel. I mean, give me a break. You know, teams are playing Prince Georgia State and, and – um, Great Santini. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I mean – that, if that's on college football to put strength of schedule as a much higher factor in, in team ranking, and we would eliminate these ridiculous matchups. So, so going back to that and strength of schedule in college football, of course the big debate, you know, assuming everybody, well, they can't all win out, but assuming Georgia beats Alabama, you're going to have five teams and then Michigan and Notre Dame and Clemson win out. You'll have kind of five teams for four spots. Like what's going to happen there? What should happen there? That's a tough one. Well, um, that's why I asked. What should happen around this an easy table one, is we Michigan wouldn't. should be the fourth team in. 
and Alabama should get left out because they lost in the last game of the season. Um, but I think we're going to get screwed if that happens. I, I think Alabama is such a national draw. They do look like the best team in the history of college football right now. And if they lost to a great Georgia team by three or less, I, I think they would drop to three or four. I'm not sure that they would drop, leave the Big Ten out. That, yeah, I that, think that, they that have left us out the last speaking, two years in a row. Leaving, yes. Well, last year was two there losses. There wasn't really a reason last year to include us. But Actually, the year before was two losses, yeah. too. Okay. I think that would be very tough to leave. So who would you leave out in that scenario? Bama. It's either us or Alabama. Bama goes. You think so? Well, I think they go because it's all premised right now, which I agree with, that they look like the best team in college football history. But if they lose to Georgia in the, uh, in the championship game, they're not the best team in college his- uh, football history. They've, they're another one-loss team. And I think at that point, the aura of invincibility has been stripped, and I think they go down to fifth. And I think, you know, Ohio State being wherever they are, winning in the horseshoe is not insignificant. I mean, that's a quality I mean, the win funny no thing, matter what. The right? funny thing is we're 9-1. and one. Let's assume we get through this week. Uh, we're 10-1, and one, and we feel like we have, you know, rightfully so. 10-1, and one, great, great year going into Ohio State. They'll be 10-1 and one too. I mean, for all their faults right. and all their stumbles, they got blown out once on the road at night. It happens. They're coming in 10-1. and one. I mean, that's a huge exactly. win. If we get it on the road against a 10-1 and one team in the shoe, I think that, you know, I assuming that we don't, gets us into the play. if we don't stumble against Northwestern, I think we're in. I think, I think it's crazy, but Bama would be out. They got to win that game. Reminds me of the 1984 Orange Bowl. Nebraska was one of the best teams ever, but guess what? They lost. Not one of the right. best teams hey, ever. In fairness, I mean, I don't know how good LSU is. We'll say that's a quality win, but who else is Alabama? They barely beat Arkansas. Who that's else true. is Alabama beaten? They've pummeled everyone, but they've not beaten anyone. Well, LSU. But I they've mean, crushed teams like Mississippi State. So they was. beat they, – they, they, I think they scored 60 points uh, against Ole Miss. I mean, they've destroyed teams. I think they're great. But I also think they, if they're great, they should beat Georgia, you know, on a neutral field pretty handily. And, and I think they will, which would I be think good for us. Too. But then we're going to have to play them. What about and, Notre Dame-Michigan? There's no way Michigan jumps Notre Dame. Not a chance. And there's also been talk that even if Notre Dame loses this week against Syracuse, they'll still get in over us because they beat us head-to-head, which is crazy. Yeah, I don't think that'll happen. But they're also a much bigger national draw than we are in terms of you know, public sentiment. Yeah, I don't see Notre Dame. If they lose, I think they're done. Dice, opinion? If Notre Dame loses, I do not think they will beat us out in the playoff. If it, well, who would they lose to? Syracuse, you're saying? Yeah, Syracuse is the 12th ranked team in the country, by the or way. USC. They lost to Clemson in the last minutes. Yeah. Led them the whole game. I mean, I think Notre Dame usually does get an advantage when it comes. I think Notre Dame and Duke are two teams that, for whatever reason, seem to get like a little bit of an edge on the rest of the country. So if it's anywhere close, I could see them beating us out. But I think losing this time of the year generally predominates over the first season of you know, the first game of the season on the road when we were clearly not the same team we are today. On either, either, on either, they, they have side. a different quarterback who's right. been much better. Speaking of Notre Dame, uh, just kind of jumping forward, like what the hell is going on there with this Shamrock series and the clown uniforms that they're wearing? I don't know if you guys have seen them, but they're, they're showing up to Yankee Stadium in pinstripe-sleeved jerseys, a helmet that's got like the ND logo with a pinstripe in the background. This is a team or a program that won't join a conference because they're so traditional. They're independent, and they're showing up looking like clowns. I mean, they deserve to lose that game on the uniforms alone. Well, actually, um, they are not, um, they're not joining a conference, and they're wearing those uniforms for the same reason. Not tradition, 
money. I was going to say, so, to quote our favorite anti-Semite, Roger Waters, <laughs> money. <laughs> right. But here's, I mean, they, they're, they're going to wear those uniforms. And they're going to sell a lot of them. So they're going to make a ton of money. And they make a lot of money with their NBC deal. So, But they would have made a lot of money. I believe the payout to each Big Ten team because of the Big Ten network exceeds Notre Dame's NBC contract. So at this point, the money's there for almost any of these conferences. If Notre Dame actually joined the ACC and the, AC, the ACC's TV money would go up, I think they can get the money elsewhere. I really do think at this point it has a lot more to do with tradition and them always being independent, wanting to play their own schedule than joining a conference. It's ridiculous. You've got a system to make the playoffs that differs so wildly from conference to conference that they should really they should scrap this whole thing, get rid of all the conference championships, the t- Power Five all get in, and then three wild cards. If Notre Dame's one of the wild cards, they're in it. If not, you know, sayonara. I think that's a great idea. I think that's where we're headed. I think that's where we're headed also, although there's contracts and money to work out right. uh, on but that as well. But there'll be more money at stake with eight teams versus four. Yep. I agree so with that. I think you're right. But you have to win over the, the bowl games. have to be incorporated. Somewhere. But the bowl games have always been incorporated. Yeah, the bowl games. This year, have to figure that the out. Orange Bowl is, the, um, is, is where Michigan would play. Like, do you have a problem with Notre Dame showing up you know, at a Yankee Stadium in clown uniforms, or is it just a sign of the times? I think it's a sign of the times. I had more of a problem with the Chicago White Sox wearing shorts in the early in the, 80s. In the 70s and the 80s. Is the other team doing something similar? The Orange Men? I'm sure they have special jerseys. Not the Orange Men. The orange. The orange. Right. They're orange now. Yeah, I'm sure they have. I've not seen their jerseys, but I, I couldn't help uh, but seeing the Notre Dame jerseys and, and really thinking of the I have to say, ridiculousness. Yeah, there's probably bigger bigger t- windmills to tilt that than the, the jersey that Notre Dame is wearing. All right, well, Shamrock I, series. I've got a bigger a bigger windmill, if you want to call it. A, I'm not sure why that would be a windmill. Who we'll invited Don Quixote? <laughs> right, exactly. Cervantes over there. Um, here's a windmill, or here's more like a, a molehill, a mountain actually which is the University of Maryland. And this is old news, so I don't really want to revisit what went on there, but I guess, Hersey, this is something you've spoken about, and and uh, and as our audience, uh, so as it may be, we'll learn. Steve is writing a book about things like this, but like, how do, on the surface, a group of seemingly intelligent people make a decision, and, this, and I'm referring to keeping DJ Durkin in the face of an athlete or a football player dying under his watch. Like, how do, how does a group decide something so nuclear, stupid, and obvious uh, in such a, a silly way. How's that happen? In well, your- I, I think that it's fascinating to me that you would call it a stupid decision. One thing, I mean, we're all attorneys. One of us actually is a lawyer, Paradise. Practicing lawyer. Uh, practicing lawyer. But, you know, it always fascinates me that people have the strongest opinions on subjects that are in the news media and will second, third, fourth, fifth guess a jury that sat there and looked through the evidence. So these people went through the evidence for months and months and months. And unless you think they are absolutely corrupt human beings, they're the ones in the best position to know whether DJ Durkin should have been fired or not. Well, and they fired him, but no, did no. it later. Well, they didn't fire him is the point. They well, only they, fired him yeah, after the fact. Just explain what you're referring. He's referring to the commission. That, that was Correct. Right. So right. the commission reviews the evidence, decides that there were institutional you know, handicaps right. working against Durkin, and so he was, quote-unquote, given a second chance or didn't deserve to be fired, even though he hired a strength coach, and under that strength coach, one of the players died. But they reversed themselves within 24 hours. Oh, are you criticizing yeah. the original decision? Or the I'm reversal? criticizing the original decision. was so stupid that even yeah, they, within see, 24 hours, they realized it was I stupid. I actually disagree with you. I don't think they reversed it. I think the president 
uh, reversed. And then the he resigned yeah. the next day. Fun fact, President was my contracts law professor at Cornell Law School. Oh, that is a fun Wallace fact. Wallace Lowe, great, wow. great professor, one of the best. Fun one fact. So, go ahead then. Look, I, I, I think that what ha what's happening now is that a small, in, in all aspects of life, there's a small, very vocal group of people that are dictating the terms of, of uh, dialogue and conversation. And some people can't step in front of a, of a moving train. And once somebody gets loud enough on social media or otherwise, you end up with threats and boycotts. And I think that the University of Maryland was very concerned that there would be you know, boycotts on campus. It doesn't mean that DJ Durkin should have been fired. I mean, I wasn't there. You weren't there. Been, doesn't mean he should, it doesn't mean he should have been fired. Right. I don't know. I, I, I really... Do you need to be there? You're, you're, you always hear this, and it's a cliche, but like most cliches, there's, there's you know, some truth to it that you go into these houses, you tell them, I'm going to take care of your son for four years, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to protect him, and I'm going to turn him into a, a, a player and a man. A player died, a child Here's the problem, died under his watch. What's the case for keeping someone in that instance? And let, me, let me speak up for Steve here, which is a rare thing. I think what Steve's saying is you set up a process, and the process says we're going to have a commission. The commission's going to look at evidence, consider evidence. I, I don't know what they did. I don't know if you no, know what they did. I don't know, know if they took testimony or they looked at documents or what they did. But they had some sort of a process in place. For at months. The, at the conclusion of that process, the commission concluded that Durkin should not be fired. Steve's point is there was a groundswell of, 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 of public outcry, et cetera, and then they reversed their decision. I think he feels that that is not I'm not saying he, he shouldn't have been fired. Right. I'm saying did that I, did I express your view? you did a perfect Thank job. You. Thank you. I'm not saying he should have been fired. All I'm saying is, is that I think the commission should have had the guts to actually either be smart enough to know there's no way we can keep this guy for PR reasons, and that's what this was, or there is such exculpatory uh, – well, the, evidence here the, that he really doesn't deserve well, the, to be fired, that maybe the head coach really in any program isn't responsible if a kid gets fired, uh, gets injured or, or, or... I mean, isn't this like... The buck stops here. That's the question. Uh, it's like race ips a no, no, The no, thing no, speaks no, for no. itself. No, let me explain. You, no, you're not... Okay. You're wrong. That's the question, is it? Because isn't it? it may be the case. I, I'm just surmising here. This is what someone said to me, that there's a, diff, there's a separation of responsibility, even in a football program, between the medical staff and the coaching staff, that when there is an injury or, uh, or a threat to someone's health, that the coaching staff no longer has any real responsibility for to dictate the terms of but what I, I should happen. That's the issue here. And if that's what I'm saying, if that's what happens, no, then, then the medical staff should be I think fired. this is a tone at the top situation. I think what the understanding is that Durkin set a tone and there was a belief in the system if, as to how people were supposed to behave. Okay. And the question is, what, did they go too far and did Durkin... But again, know, if, the, that's the buck what, stop if, here? if that's what happened, right. he should be fired. Right. Right. But my understanding is no, that no, that's no, not what the commission decided. That's it's all a, I'm right, saying. It's a fair point. If the commission decided they didn't deserve to be fired based upon what they heard, do we want to let public outcry determine the results of something like this. I mean, it's we're not going to get mean, into it, but it touches upon other other aspects of the it's world. It's appeasement. Today. That's what it is. And I'm not saying I, I'd sort of argue that you're appointing a commission almost to get yourself off the hook. You've got a player on his team that died in practice, basically. I mean, it was a but, couple but, weeks later, but he he essentially died as a result of of heat stroke out of practice. On that alone. It may not have directly been the coach's fault, but I mean that's to me that's that's the end. You've got a dead child at your program. End of coaching thing. They then 
They appointed a commission. I mean, look, do we know that heat stroke was the primary cause of death? Is it possible that he had an enlarged heart and he would have died no matter what? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I didn't look no, at the No, I understand that. And I, I, I understand your point that if it was medical malpractice, that might not be the coach's fault. I don't think that was the, the, the or, facts. Or if it, or, or the if it was here, just, what if it was just a situation where he had if a your decision, defect? Well, I don't think the, that's not what the facts are here. But if you're, if you're in a point where the decision if you're, let's say, 51% sure, 52% sure that public outcry can flip you within 24 hours, I'd argue right, you're making true. the wrong decision. Well, you don't disagree with that. No, that's of course, point. I agree yeah. with you on that point. Listen, the fact remains, if they appoint a commission and a commission has a process, they follow the process, they conclude he shouldn't be fired, I happen to believe that it's something wrong with reversing that. But as you say, then perhaps they should have reached that decision in the first place. What quality person at this point I mean, this guy Wallace Coe was also left. Low, to, low. Wallace Lowe was left to go to slaughter to the lambs too. Who wants to be the 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 chancellor? Steny Hoyer wants him to stay. No, but this is very political because what happened is that this report came out, I think, a week or week and a half before the gubernatorial election, which was very close. And there was an African American challenger, Benjamin Jealous, former head of the NAACP. You had a Republican governor in a very, very liberal state, the popular Larry Hogan, and he was the one who called for this guy to be fired. I mean, after the commission, so. I mean, there was a lot of politics going on here. This is a very complicated situation, and none of us saw the commission report or really read it carefully enough to be in a position to say what really should have happened. It's funny. I don't see it as that complicated. You're in charge of 100 and something kids or 85 of them on scholarship. If one dies under your watch, short of like a Corey Stringer, um, where you have his, well, he was heat stroke also, or a Hank Gathers, that'd be probably a better example where, you know, he really did have, uh, you know, an enlarged heart. I mean, that, that, those weren't the facts here. Okay, so I guess maybe we should it was, put you on the commission. Then he never would have been. I, I would have been like, "Are you guys out of your mind? This is going to blow up in our face." We're never putting it, putting even aside the human element of it. They're never going to be able to recruit again. Like this program is such yeah, a disaster. Which brings me true. to my last kind of uh, uh, point: WTF, what have you? Which is like Jim Delaney, smarter than than me. Not that that's such a huge standard, but done a great job with the Big Ten. Tons of money in the Big Ten network, but. Having, first of all, this Maryland debacle, but put that aside, having just come back from Rutgers, what the what were they thinking when they let that team into the conference? I mean, that is a fiasco, a disaster, and an embarrassment all wrapped into one. What do you guys think of that? I mean, I know people talk about cable subscribers and subs, but I mean, Dice, you were there. And this is what I was thinking. I was thinking to myself, Rashawn Gary, Jabril Peppers. Go on and on and on. Craig Ironhead Hayward from another generation. Why would any one of those players want to play at that at that school when they can play at a Michigan or a Penn State? Yeah, and they don't. see 80,000 or 100,000 fans. I mean, it's depressing. So the point is, I don't know how that school is ever going to get relevant. I, and, I agree. and they were as close as they but could be. they were be. relevant. They were when, 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 when Greg, um, when Greg Shiano. Shiano was there and, and Ray Rice and the like. I'm saying that's as close as they ever got. Shiano's the John Beeline I don't know how of Shiano Rutgers did it. coaching. I, I honestly don't know how he got kids to stay at home and play there. Well, one of the things is that you, a lot of kids, their parents can't afford to fly or drive 12 hours to Ann Arbor or somewhere else every weekend, and you want the kids to play. You want to be able to play in front of your friends and family. So there is an attraction. There are not a lot of great schools to play college football in the New York metropolitan area. So it, it wouldn't be that surprising. And look, to defend Jim Delaney, 
I think Rutgers has also been a complete fiasco with their athletic department and, you know, right. the whole thing with Mike Rice getting fired and the AD getting, getting blown out. And then the next woman came in and she was a disaster. So you would think with all the money and all the prestige that the Big Ten would bring Rutgers, they would be able to build great facilities and attract great people. It hasn't happened, but I, I, I mean, people make mistakes. No, no, I mean, you almost picture, you know, Delaney making the case and going, look, what's the worst thing that can happen? And this is it. They're right. horrible. There's been scandals. Their coaching has been terrible. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a black mark on the Big Ten to have a but team. But it is fixable. This is a recruiting hotbed. New Jersey and, and parts of Pennsylvania are fertile territory for Rutgers. I mean, I would say it's fixable. I mean, we've seen other programs, maybe Kansas State coming to mind, that were real doormats that somebody turned around. And like you said, Shiano had that thing moving in the right direction for a few years. But based on Dice and my visit there, it's a, lo- it's, it's a lot of work for somebody because that it was really – it was pathetic, to be honest. It was a sad place to go watch football. I mean, we all love Michigan. You know, to, to go see Michigan a couple hours away, you'd think, God, that's got to be a great day. It was just terrible. Yeah. So, on to that. So, okay, here's where we are. We're at the end of the show. We will uh, we'll be back post-Ohio State. So, let's, before we uh, depart, you know, keeping the – you have something else? Well, I don't think we talked about politics at all today. No, we're going to skip the politics. We're right. talking Michigan, Michigas. We've got big games ahead of us. Uh, I want to be cautious because the last time we did this together before Ohio State, there were three of us thinking we'd beat Ohio State in 2015, and we did not. But let's go for our uh, – how do you see it? Dice? Michigan 23, Ohio State 17. Hersey? Sorry to say uh – we will not get the monkey off our back. Jim Harbaugh will make some mental mistake. It's a gorilla at this point. It's not gorilla a monkey. off his back. Um, 24-23, Ohio State. I think we're going to blow him out. I think um, I really feel like if we can get up on him early, we will roll. We've got the much better team. I assume everybody goes in healthy, so nothing, God forbid, happens to Shea. And I think if that's the case, I think this can be uh, a 31-10 kind of game. I really feel like if we're going to win – we're going to win by a lot, and they're going to they're going to throw in. If it's a close game, you know all bets are off. It's a fifty fifty game, but I think we're going to get up early and and put the foot down. I don't like our chances with Quinn Nordine with the game look, on the look, line. Look, I do not like a last second field goal I'll to win say this, this thing. Look for Tyree Black's coming up. All right, all right. So with that, we bid you adieu. See you guys after the Ohio State game. Go Blue.